Welcome to Unexpected Points. We are going to discuss the GOAT's retirement, a Brian Flores lawsuit, which will hopefully change the way hiring has been going down in the NFL, plus some other points about interesting things that are going on this week. All that and more on the numbers-based Unexpected Points podcast. All right, all right here. Let's uh, tone down the music. Let's get into it. Just me here, solo pod. But we got so much to talk about that I didn't want to bring someone on to discuss a particular team. We've been doing some postmortems on what's going on. We have plenty more of those to come in the offseason. We have the free agency to talk about in the offseason. We have the draft cycle, which is already starting to pump up. There are comps out there. Our PFF draft guide is out there. Everything's out there. Uh, going on there. We'll talk about all that stuff, but we've had some a couple of unique pieces of news going on this week, which have some implications for how we understand football, maybe a little bit, how we understand perspective when it comes to Brady's retirement and how we can fix one of the worst situations in the NFL, one of the biggest problems in the NFL, and that is the hiring situation, particularly when it comes to coaches. It's got a little bit better for GMs when it comes to minority hires, specifically black hires. I know we talk about minority hires a lot, but I don't know if I'm going to put someone like Robert Sala or Ron Rivera in the same sort of bucket um, that we're going to put others like Brian Flores in the lawsuit we're going on here. Uh, but it's big. It's a big issue. And I have some ideas where I don't want to be glib about it, um, but I do think there has to be some proposals, some incentives that are put out there to try to rectify the situation because you know, negative articles, other things like that. Obviously, that's not really making much of a difference on that front. Okay, before I get into all of these topics, let me just let everyone know you can get 25% off any PFF subscription. Like I mentioned, the draft guide is out. Our newest draft guide is out. Top 100 prospects are in there. All of the advanced data. And we have some really cool like target maps going on for different receivers and for quarterbacks. Um, Everything basically but the combine data that's going to come in, but we're already getting some initial measurements, as you've seen through the Senior Bowl and others. So all that's available, top 100 prospects, uh, free agency, a lot of stuff's been going on there, 25% off, code SUPER25, that's all together, SUPER25, PFF, get all of that, get all the other different content, and you know, start off start off the uh, the year right here and get on board with PFF and everything that we are going to be doing going forward. All right, let's talk Brian Flores and the lawsuit there first and there was an aspect of this and again i said you don't you don't want to it's a very serious topic but there were some things that were you know head scratching bordering on being semi-hilarious about how this information came out uh, hilarious in the amount of embarrassment that people should feel, including everyone's greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick. That was probably the biggest thing that came out. So larger picture is the Flores has started a class action suit against the NFL and all of the different teams. It seems like the real spark on this for people who've been asleep the last couple of days and haven't seen this. The real spark on this was the fact that he was texting back and forth with, with Bill Belichick. And within this texting back and forth, he learned definitively 
that before he had a final interview, an interview that he was being told by the New York Giants and Joe Shane and the guys over there, that he was being told was a legitimate interview, that they were excited to see him, that he was in the running for it, that he was accidentally told by Bill Belichick that he was actually out and that Brian uh, DeBowles was going to be the guy there. Uh, to read the exact correspondence that went back and forth, it says, you know, uh, when Bill Belichick was going back and forth in floors and he has a screenshot of the text messages here where Belichick says, uh, sounds like you've landed congrats. And then Flores is asking him, did you hear anything that I didn't hear? And then he's saying giants question mark, exclamation mark. And then, you know, that almost implies to me a little bit that he's like, don't you know what's going on? And then, and he said, and then Flores says, you know, I have the interview on Thursday. And then Belichick says, well, I've heard from Buffalo and New York giants. I remember Joe Shane came from Buffalo that you are their guy. So it seems like here, and then, and then you know, Flores asked him, hey, do you realize this is Brian Flores you're talking to and not Brian Dable? Uh, Dable, I think is actually how you say it, according to the press conference. So Because uh, Dable worked with him, and Flores used to work with him. So both the same name, maybe some confusion on the phone, and it seems like Belichick messed up here. He tried to play it off as if he was given the wrong information, but it seems like the reality is he thought he was talking to Brian Dable on this one. Um, so th there's a few different things here. Number one, obviously extremely deflating for someone like Brian Flores to go into these interviews now knowing this, sitting down to doing this interview. Number two, it's like a confirmation of all your worst fears. And I think that's really the problem when it comes to a lot of these things here um, is that we have the, the, the Rooney rule in place that requires that a candidate of color, whether it's for a GM job or for a coaching job is interviewed as part of the process. So some coaches, they don't know whether they're just being set up. There's a lot of feeling behind the, behind the, the scenes that these teams just know who they're going to end up hiring anyway. And then the one box they definitively have to check is to bring in a black candidate most of the time for these different positions, but they have no intention of actually hiring these positions. And I think this kind of hinted into the worst of that. Number one, Belichick, who's not even related to the organization that Joe Shane and Brian DeBall are coming from, he is, he knows about this, right? He seems definitive that he knows that he knows it's, it's, it's the giants. Of course, he used to work for the giants back in the day. So he has contacts there. Um, he seems surprised that when he's talking to who he thinks to be Brian DeBall, that, that, that he doesn't know. So even then it's like before a decision is out there, it's like even the candidate, the chosen candidate kind of knows what's going on. He assumes that knows what's going on. So it's like everyone is in on it. There's this feeling that everyone is in on it, but the candidate himself. And that's why this became such a touchpoint issue and why it went just as far as to set off this lawsuit. Now, We've seen that this is a class action suit, so others can join in. Hugh Jackson has started to say that there were some funny business going on with the Browns uh, in terms of incentives to lose. You know, we'll see how that plays out. I'm a little less credulous of that accusation for the fact that he mentions in 2017 when they went 0-16 that they were trying to lose in some sort of way or he was being paid off in some sort of way to lose. I mean, let's face it. They spent a ton of money in that offseason. Hugh Jackson wanted to trade for A.J. McCarron. He wanted to trade a second and third round pick for A.J. McCarron in October of that year. So very early in the year to try to turn things around. And, and Jimmy Haslam signed off on that trade, but they couldn't execute it because the paperwork was messed up and the trade deadline went by. 
So there's not a lot of evidence that they were really trying to tank in 2017, maybe some, or during once the season started, uh, but maybe they'll find something for 2016. Even 2016, they went one and five in one score game. So they were unlucky to only have one win in that season. And there was no real top-notch quarterback uh, in people's minds, other than maybe Deshaun Watson, who ended up falling all the way to 12. There's no real top-notch quarterback in people's minds necessarily to take in the 2017 draft anyway for tanking in 2016. So that that's the first part. And that obviously, I think, really set it up because it was confirmation, confirmation that few coaches really have in evidence that could be presented in a court of law, these text messages. This is not hearsay. This is not, you know, so-and-so told me X. Um, plenty of coaches have heard things about this. Marvin Lewis was interviewed on a program um in the last couple of days. And he mentioned how he interviewed with the Panthers before he realized that, or he knew going into that interview that, that he heard that John Fox was going to be the head coach there. He still went in and interviewed. They said, no, 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 we're not. We don't have anyone in mind where this is an open interview process. And of course they went and hired John Fox anyway, there, this is before his, uh, before his run, his very successful run with the, the Bengals afterwards. But some other things came out of this that were not even related to, necessarily the 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 hiring practice the one thing that was related to the hiring practice was again people getting tossed under the bus here uh the first kind of salacious ish adjacent detail here was that um when brian flores in 2019 as part of the hiring cycle which he was eventually hired for the dolphins that he went to interview with the broncos he had heard then that you know, someone else was going to be their guy. He went there anyway. He says that John Elway and executive chief officer Joe Ellis showed up an hour late to the interview. They looked disheveled. They looked like they've been heavily drinking the night before. And it was clear from the substance of the interview that he was only being interviewed because of the Rooney rule in his mind. Now, whether he's only being interviewed for the Rooney rule or not, and there's some confusion with that, even when it comes to the Giants, because of the fact that Leslie Frazier was being interviewed there. I don't think we want to pick nits here about whether he has to be the exact candidate or not. The thing is they're putting in requests for guys and these questions are coming up um, as a part of this. And he says that he knew, you know, the Vic Fangio was going to be the hire and Vic Fangio was the hire there back in 2019. And then the last thing that, that he mentions are things about the dolphins where he seems to just be throwing um, Ross, the owner Ross and others under the bus there where he says that, they wanted him to meet with a prominent quarterback. And it seems like we're talking about Tom Brady here. I thought it might be Deshaun Watson, but I think we're talking about Tom Brady at the end of the 2019 season and early in 2020, trying to meet with this quarterback, even though it would have been tampering. He didn't want to do that. And then he says that the owner Ross offered him hundred K said, you could have hundred K per loss. If you continue to lose games, as you remember, the dolphins were tanking mightily, at least by their moves going into the 2019 season. And they ended up, you know, winning enough games there where they took themselves out of contention for getting Joe Burrow as the first pick. Now they still could have gotten Justin Herbert, but you know, being the fifth pick versus being the number one overall pick gives you a lot of a lot less flexibility for what you're going to do. Okay. So I don't want to get into too many of the other details of what's going on. I feel very bad for Brian Flores. He made an impassioned plea on some television shows this morning. And I'm, I'm speaking on Wednesday here about the fact that I believe that he wants to coach and he's not doing this lawsuit because he thinks this is great. I don't have to coach anymore for the rest of my life. If I, if I make some money here, I can sit back and not do anything. I don't think he wants that. He wants to coach, but he felt like something had to be done. And I agree that something has to be done. So I've been thinking about some ideas for a while here. And 
when it comes to what concrete actions the NFL can take, because that's what this is going to be about. This is going to be about actions that can be taken. This is about some way you can truly incentivize teams to move in this direction. At the same time, the risk here, you know, is by putting something more concrete where you are explicitly motivating teams to interview candidates of color or hire candidates of color. We've already seen the backlash that comes to the Rooney rule. A lot of comments on even this Brian Flores lawsuit are as, see, if you didn't have the Rooney rule, then this wouldn't be happening, that sort of thing. So I think you want to minimize the the potential negativity around any particular hire and that person put under the microscope and that person being labeled or having an asterisk in some people's mind as saying they were hired because of their race as opposed to how good they are, even though all of these candidates are preeminently qualified most of the time on here, uh, especially the black candidates. So I think you want to minimize that and you want to maximize the, the ability for there actually to be change here. Now, the only other thing that the NFL has brought in so far to incentivize is that if a assistant coach is hired as being a head coach, a assistant coach of color is being hired as a head coach, or an, or a front office personnel is being hired as a GM, the team that loses that person, that developed that person, gains, I believe, two mid-round picks in future drafts. So again, you're incentivizing the team that's losing rather than the team that's gaining. It doesn't quite make as much sense to me, but in that way, you're not attaching something to them saying they were hired because of X, because the team who's hiring them is not gaining anything. It's only the team that's losing them is gaining something. So I I get it from that perspective is how they want to align those incentives. But my idea is we need something more than an interview. We need something more than the current rule that's in place. We need something much, much more than a helmet sticker or a slogan in the back of the end zone or a different avatar during Black History Month. I mean, we need more than that. So what I think we need to do is we need a process which is going to harness the incentive of the spotlight being placed on these teams and these owners while lessening the incentive of actual differences in draft capital and things like that. There was a proposal of if you hire someone of color, then you would gain draft capital and people were not, they weren't too excited about that. Um, so what, what I propose is, and again, this is a, this is an idea of mine. It hasn't been, you know, I've thought it out. I, I want to say it's not well thought out, but it's not, it hasn't gone through the ringer. It hasn't gone through any, any sorts of minds here, but I want an idea where, the spotlight is not just on the handful of teams who are hiring executives or coaches that particular year. The spotlight is on the entire NFL. And it's a continued spotlight on teams who are not doing a good job of diversifying their coaching in front office ranks. So how we do that is we develop some sort of system for rating the diversity of teams, coaching staffs, and front offices. Now, again, the specific points in here can be debated. Um, It gets a little bit icky-ish when we start talking about points being allocated for certain people of, you know, of color or not of color. But again, I think I still feel like this is the best way to try to get an idea of get a rating of how well that, that, that a team is doing. So 
what you would do is you would get, you know, a certain number of points for having a black head coach, probably the most. It seems like the head coach is really the, you know, the head of the organization in a lot of ways, even above the GM. Uh, GMs have actually gotten better when it comes to diver- um, diversity and hiring. If you look there, we have six black GMs now versus one black head coach. And five of those six GMs have been hired in the last three years. So we're, we're kind of moving in the right in the right direction there. But you would have, you know, the most points for the head coach, lesser points for GM, uh, lesser points for coordinators and then staff and so on. And then in one round of the draft, doesn't have to be a high value round because we're, we're talking about attention here is the most important thing. Not that it doesn't have to be the third round. Maybe it can be the fifth round, maybe the sixth round. If you wanted to make it the seventh round, whatever, the seventh round is fine to me. Because again, we're harnessing attention and focus. The, the draft order would be based upon the level of diversity that you have in your front office and your coaching ranks. Again, this would not make a huge difference to the results for teams. If you're drafting first in the sixth round or you're drafting 32nd in the sixth round, it's not going to make a huge difference. What it will do is it'll put a spotlight on every single team every year to say, how good of a job are you doing in this regard? It's not going to put a spotlight on one hire where you can go ahead and, you know, not hire a black candidate, bring in someone else, and then you don't have to worry about that again until years later when the next hiring cycle comes up. And what it also does is by focusing not just on the top candidates, the GM and the head coach, it also incentivizes people to bring in a pipeline of people underneath, of diverse candidates underneath building up into the next into the next coaches. And if certain teams are doing a poor job at this, if certain teams are doing a poor job of having a diversified staff, it will be highlighted every year. It can even be highlighted to the fact of saying, you know, you have been in the bottom five teams by diversity for your coaching staff for the last five years in a row. Things like that can be mentioned. Things that aren't brought to the owner's attention aren't put right in their face every year unless they actually have to hire someone who's a head coach who people focus on. This is a way of harnessing that spotlight because maybe I'm naive in thinking this, but I do think that most of the owners of the NFL, most of the decision makers in the NFL are not bad people. Are you know It's called implicit bias for a reason. And there is a reason why someone may want to hire someone they get better, better vibes from, better familiarity, better rapport from. But that's generally going to mean that you're going to hire someone like you And if the owners are white, if most of the decision makers are white, if most of the uh, consultants that are brought in are white on this, then that's where where they're going to end up going. I mean, you only have to look at the hire of Matt Rule by David Tepper a couple of years ago where he explicitly said, this guy dresses like shit. He looks like me. He acts like me. He came from nothing like me. That's why you're hiring him. He's basically like, I'm hiring myself in this circumstance. So if owners are hiring people they feel comfortable with, people they they remind them of themselves, this is going to end up happening over and over again. So I think that's another problem in the whole process generally is you need to detach somewhat from the vibes portion of the the interview. But anyway, so every year teams will be ranked. It'll be explicit. Everyone will know where they stand. Everyone will know whether or not they've improved or not. And there will be pressure, constant year in, year out pressure to make change. And some of it is explicit pressure. Some of it is just the owners knowing this, having it put in their faces. The GMs knowing this, having it put in their faces. The coach, the head coaches knowing this, having it put in their faces to realize, hey, we are failing on this metric. Yes, there can be excuses sometimes. Yes, there can be contacts sometimes. Yes, the best candidate 
may not be a candidate of color most, most of the time or some of the time, and that can happen. But if you keep on getting continued reinforcement that you're not doing things right, then you can look to potentially actually make a solution going forward. And this would be my proposal for it. Well, would it ever be adopted? Probably not. But the Rooney rule is not working. Being incentivized by giving picks back to the team that loses people is not working. Uh, attaching picks directly to someone's name when they are hired, I think is unfair to that person um, as being labeled potentially as, I mean, they'll take it. They'll take the job. And I'm, I wouldn't say that they should feel ashamed or anything about taking the job, but I do think you kind of give a little bit too much to people who want to shame them for taking the job in that circumstance. So this would be my view, put everyone underneath the same microscope every year. All 30 teams have to, 32 teams have to think about it. All 32 owners have to think about it. And then hopefully you can slowly get incremental change for teams that do not want to be seen as being the worst as far as their hiring policies are considered year after year after year, which everyone will know because one of the rounds of the draft at the end of the draft will be determined by it. That's my solution. All right, before we get to Tom Brady goat discussion, there's a lot to talk about there. Um, I want to talk about Western and Southern. The Unexpected Points podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Bring buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernandsouthern.com slash pff and i also want to talk about DraftKings. the moment we've all been waiting for since september is finally here in honor of the big game DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of super bowl 56 is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If the Sportsbook isn't available in your state, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for their Super Bowl 56 contest. New customers can get a free shot at $1 million with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code PFF. Get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 200 80 and free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 21 or over, see DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full requirements and state-specific gaming resources. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call the TN Redline 1-800-889-8979 in Connecticut. Call 1-888-789-7777 in New York. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. Let's go ahead and manscaped so I can just burn through the rest of this episode. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Uh, they are lyricists here at Netscape. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. It's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped leaders in below-the-waist grooming solutions. Go to manscaped.com. Use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. 20% off free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. All righty. I want to talk Tom Brady because his retirement was on on Saturday. Adam Scheffner and Jeff Darlington at the NFL Network announced it as such. Then it was off. Uh, she doth protest too much sort of situation here with Tom Brady's dad and others saying they didn't know what was going on. 
uh, Tom Brady somewhat hilariously on a podcast with um, I forget who it was with, but he was on, he, he did a podcast on Monday night before the actual announcement came out Tuesday morning saying that he wasn't sure what he was going to do. Come on, Tom, you know, I, I think it's a little bit annoying, the breaking news sort of thing when it came to Tom Brady and when it came to Andrew Luck before the actual announcement comes out. I think it's even more annoying when you try to pretend like it's not really going to happen, that like you don't really know where you obviously knew. But anyway, that's a whole that's a whole different story. That's a whole different rant. I, I got many rants, of course, that that I don't want to that I don't want to get into too many of them here. But I want to talk about Tom and goat status. I was a long holdout on Tom Brady being the goat. And that is because of, I think, a little bit of recency bias on most people's cases. I don't think what people remember is even in 2013, so we're talking about nine years ago at this point, um, eight years ago, if you think about this 2013 season and then the, the 2014 Super Bowl, where Manning was the MVP then. He had come, you know, he came back from neck surgery. He was in Detroit. He was the MVP, had one of the best seasons ever, 50 plus touchdowns, all that stuff. And if he was going to win that Super Bowl, people were basically saying that he was going to cement himself as the GOAT at that point in time. And I think what has been forgotten a little bit is the fact that at this point in time, that was the age 37 season for Peyton Manning. So I think through age 37, and think about how old that is, through age 37, if you looked at Peyton Manning's career and... Tom Brady's career, Peyton Manning was probably the considered to be the best player versus those two. Tom Brady won four more Super Bowls after that. He accumulated, you know, ten, ten, tens of thousands of yards after that uh, and so many things, whereas Peyton Manning was playing at an MVP-type level midway through 2014 and then fell off a cliff after that. So I think what's interesting about Brady is, when there's this discussion of, you know, does he belong on the sports Mount Rushmore? Uh, how do you compare him to these other sports? I, mean, I think he's just a very, very different candidate than the other names you would think about putting on there. And maybe it's a function of football being very, very different. Or I don't know if it's a function of just Tom Brady. I was looking at the numbers today. So before the age 30 season for Tom Brady, he really did not have any major accolades. He had three Super Bowls, yes. He had Super Bowl MVPs, yes. But I'm talking about like personal accolades that you would have as a great player through a sustained season of play. Before his age 30 season, his age 30 season was 2007, where he exploded, won the MVP, Randy Moss, all that stuff. Before that, before that he had one second-team All-Pro in his career. So be- through all of his 20s, He had one season where he was considered by the consensus, by the voters, the AP voters, one season he was considered to be the second best quarterback in the NFL. Zero seasons where he was considered to be the the best quarterback in the NFL. He was third in the MVP voting twice during that time. Uh, He only had a, a few Pro Bowls too, believe it or not, during that time. And Pro Bowl is a pretty easy bar to get in um, versus all pro, which only, you know, only two people are all pros and versus the MVP, which is of course just one person. So that's just a very strange beginning to, of, a, of a career. If you think about goats and the other names that you would most commonly hear as being a goat type of person, I mean, Michael Jordan in the NBA 
It took him a while to start getting championships, but he did get championships before he turned 30. Um, he had three MVPs. He was MVP of the National Basketball Association three times before the age of 30. Again, three times considered the best player in all of the NBA. Tom Brady one time considered the second best quarterback before the age of 30. Serena Williams had won 13 majors. Now, tennis is a sport that skews younger. I think she was winning majors before uh, most football players or even in the NFL. But still, 13 majors before the age of 30. Tiger Woods. Not necessarily the youngest sport in golf. Nine majors before hitting 30 years old. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, when we're talking about hockey here, he had nine heart trophies, which is the equivalent MVP trophy, before the age of 30. So these, these GOAT type of players normally start fast. They're normally phenoms. They're normally very highly coveted players before they even get into the league. I mean, Gretzky was a highly coveted player. Tiger Woods was seen from a mile away as being the next phenom. Serena, again, competing at such a young age, at such a high level. Everyone knew that she was going to win majors. Michael Jordan is a lot made of the fact that he was the third overall pick, but it was kind of a different era. And Akeem Olajuwon was the number one pick, so it wasn't like anyone messed up there. But it was definitely a different era where they focus more on the big men than they do now. But still, he was, you know, offensive rookie. He was rookie of the year his first year. It wasn't like he 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 bloomed later on. There was not this underdog sort of thing. He was a, a collegiate player of the year when he was in college. Of course, Tom Brady was never close to doing something like that. Now, Peyton Manning would have been the guy who fit that goat mold more because number one pick overall coming into the league, first year. People talk about these high interception numbers he had. It was a totally different era in the NFL. He was second in Offensive Rookie of the Year his first year. His second year in the league, they go from 3-13 and 13 to 13-3. and three. They're the number one seed in the AFC. Or maybe they're number two seed. But anyway, they had a bye. I think they were number one seed in the AFC. 13-3, number one seed in the AFC. Second season for Peyton Manning in, in, in the league. Not second season starting. In the league. He was a runner-up in MVP voting, all in his second season, okay? And if you think before the age 30 season, so the equivalent for when Tom Brady just had the one second team All-Pro, Peyton Manning had two MVPs. He was second in voting for MVP twice. So he was MVP two years, another two years. He was runner-up for MVP, and if you look at the first-team All-Pros, now some of these are going to be the same year, so it can get a little confusing. But if you look at the first-team All-Pros, he was three times he was first-team All-Pro at quarterback. He was twice second-team All-Pro. So three different years he was considered the best quarterback in the NFL, two different years he was considered the second-best quarterback in the NFL. But zero Super Bowls during that time, whereas Brady had three Super Bowls. So vastly different careers at that point be between these two. and. The re another reason that Peyton, like, is, again, I'm trying to put it, I still kind of put him in this one B to the one A of Brady. Their careers are so different as far as looking at who's the best player ever. One thing that's really different about Peyton is the way the modern quarterback is played was really coming a lot from Peyton Manning, checking at the line of scrimmage, making adjustments, um, just really being involved in every facet of what of what's going on. Brady adopted more and more of that later in his career, but he was not doing that on that same sort of level. He wasn't the one innovating in a lot of these, these sort of ways as Peyton Manning was. So if you look at the second phases of both of their careers here, uh, between the ages of 30 and 35, again, you would think, oh, this is when Brady starts to jump way forward, but it's not really the truth. 
Um, two MVPs for each of them between age 30 and 35 seasons. Um, two first team all pros for both of them. One second team all pro for Manning, zero for Brady, zero Super Bowls for Brady during this time. He had this weird thing where it's kind of like he was playing his best in those six seasons. He had two MVPs in those six seasons. We only had three total, yet he won no Super Bowls during that time. So again, it's like detaching Super Bowl and when you're playing your highest level are not necessarily the same thing. The best offseason that Brady may have had was 2017. And of course, he lost to Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. Um, one Super Bowl for Manning during that time. And then ages 35 and older, what's interesting is just from the accolade standpoint, they actually don't look that different, even though Brady went on to play many, many more years at a much higher level. Um, but from a pure accolade standpoint, they each had one MVP over the age of 35. They, um, Brady was second though, in MVP voting three different times during this time period. Whereas Peyton was only second in MVP voting once, uh, one first team all pro for Brady, one second team all pro. And then Manning just had the one, the two first team all pros. Manning actually had one Super Bowl. That was the second Super Bowl before retiring. And Brady had four Super Bowls during this time frame. So that's what really pushes him over the top. The longevity, getting those four Super Bowls at the end. Um, but the total personal accolades are not necessarily any higher for Braden than they are for Manning when you look at seasonal awards. But of course, when you accumulate that many more stats, you can be that much further ahead. So I think I still think Brady's a goat. I'm not taking the goat away from him, but I'm just saying it's just a very interesting discussion because in football, it's a strange-ish sort of sport. If you think about the best players who the best quarterbacks ever many of them are fell fall into this bucket like brady in my opinion where if their career did not break in a certain direction they would probably be remembered very differently than they are now maybe not maybe they would have brady would have found a way to get there despite being a sixth round draft pick despite not being the tom brady that we know until his age 30 season Maybe despite that, just being, you know, he would have still gotten there somehow. But like someone like Peyton Manning, he would have gotten there. He was the number one overall pick. He was this phenom. He was everything. I think he, I, I'm confident, more confident that he would have gotten there some way. Um, think about some of the best quarterbacks ever. You know, Steve Young, he did absolutely nothing before he was in his age 31 season. How, where do you see this in other sports? other than maybe like cycling with Lance Armstrong, someone who's doping, who comes out of nowhere. Um, Steve Young, nothing before he was 31, before, you know, he's drafted by Tampa Bay as the whole USFL thing. He comes back, he sits behind uh, Joe Montana for a very long time and so on and so forth. Joe Montana, let's talk about Joe Montana. Again, considered to be top, top guy. Is the, you know, he was the GOAT kind of conversation for him. He didn't make a first team all pro. He did not, he was not voted the top quarterback in the NFL until he was 31 years old. And he did not win an MVP until he was 33 years old. There really is this conflation of Super Bowls, which again, I pointed to Brady, like the most successful when he was at his peak powers between the ages of 30 and 35, he won zero Super Bowls. So there's not necessarily this strong connection between playing at your best and winning Super Bowls. But yet that's what really pumps into people's system is who are these greats are like Joe Montana. Again, didn't win an MVP until he was 33 years old. Um, so there are scenarios where he could have not ended up becoming who he became. 
Brett Favre. There's scenarios where he, you know, he was a second round pick originally with the Atlanta Falcons, then then sent off to to Green Bay, and he, he finds his niche there. Of course, he did win three straight MVPs all before his 30th uh, birthday, so he's he's pretty solid there. But again, one of the top, top guys who didn't have that clear phenom to greatest player in the league timeline and trajectory that you would expect, that you see quite often in other sports. Uh, Drew Brees, again, just retired recently. should be considered a top five-ish sort of quarterback of all time. His team didn't even want him. I mean, the San Diego Chargers, they were, I mean, he was good. I think he might have made a, like a a first team, second team all pro or something like that when he was with the Chargers. He wasn't bad, but they went ahead, you know, they drafted Phillip Rivers or they drafted Eli Manning and then switched him with with the Giants for, for Phillip Rivers. And he was sent off to the Saints, and then falling into that situation, he accumulates what he does. But again, no MVPs for Drew Brees. One first-team All-Pro and one second-team All-Pro before the age of 30. That's it for him. So only one time was he considered before the age of 30 to be the best quarterback in the NFL. Now, yeah, he had some issues there because he's playing with Peyton Manning, and he's playing with Tom Brady, and he's playing with some other uh, top guys there. But I thought it was a very interesting discussion to think about how you frame these guys. And that's why I have more trouble thinking about Tom Brady on the Mount Rushmore of sports that other people want to put him on. Because for me, it's easier to see, you know, Michael Jordan there. It's easier to see Serena Williams there. It's easier to see Wayne Gretzky there. It's easier to see Tiger Woods there. Uh, Maybe it's even easier to see other, you know, tennis players you may want to throw in there. Like Djokovic looks like he may get there someday. Federer, someone like that. It's easier for me to make that case of like there was a no point in their lives almost from pretty early on that they weren't seen as being this phenom to greatest player and then continuing on as opposed to you know barely getting drafted for Brady to being a okay quarterback to being a good quarterback to not hitting great quarterback status until you start to get into your 30s and then continuing it on forever. It's just a very weird trajectory and a very interesting thing to think about when we're thinking about how to compare these sorts of players. And, you know, our our minds get skewed a little bit by what happens at the end of people's careers, whether it's Peyton Manning falling off at the end, whether it's Ben Roethlisberger struggling for a couple of years at the end, whether it's... um, whether it's, uh, you know, Drew Brees having trouble at the end of his career. And, and, and Brady did not have that at all. Number one graded player during the regular season for us, PFF grade this season, probably will be second in the MVP award. Um, but just something to consider when we're thinking about Brady's retirement and how to look at the greatest of the game. I, I, I may put something together, like put a piece together where I'm looking at all these things, but, you know, I am, but I guess the headline would be, which it shouldn't be much of a surprise, is that I'm willing to concede at this point to capitulate on Brady being the GOAT. Um, He's just a very interesting case study in how football differs from these other sports. He really illustrates it better than anyone else. Uh, How the cream, while rising to the top, you know, there's so many other factors involved in it when it comes to football. And probably that's why evaluation is so difficult um, when we see quarterbacks and other people who are coming into the league. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. I will be back at you next week. I'm going to try to get some people on the pod to maybe one episode to do a postmortem on someone. Another episode, of course, to do a good old hearty Super Bowl preview. Uh, Rate, review the pod. I'm probably going to start doing some uh, Q&A type of mailbag-ish sort of stuff in the offseason. So 
fire in some questions either via on the reviews or in the YouTube comments, and I will try to get to them as the season moves on. Otherwise, have a great weekend. Enjoy, you know, staring at a blank television set with no football, and we'll be back at you next week. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, and have a great weekend.